Good morning. This is Carrie Murphy. Does everybody know Carrie? Hello. I, I take it that was a yes by their... Do you know Carrie? Yes. Great. Carrie is our children's minister here. She is married to Jonathan, who she said was cute in the first service. He is cute. Uh, Tell us the rest of your family, Carrie. Okay. um, Jonathan's over in Children's Church. I have two children, Molly. Some of you know Molly. She's three and a half, and I have a son, Fletcher, who's 18 months. Great. You have a sister named Kaylee. I do have a sister named Kaylee. She's over helping in Children's Church. She's Children's Church. You hijack all of them for Children's Church, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. Carrie's going to share with us a little bit about her story and about how she came to know Christ. It's a very interesting, very good story, uh, and and I might say a very unique story, too. Carrie, you were raised going to church, correct? I was. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Growing up, um, I was really involved in our youth group. I went to Disciple Now and church camp, and I was in youth choir, and yeah, I was really involved. You were a, you were a good Baptist, right? I was a good Baptist a good kid. Baptist, okay. My dad was a deacon, and my mom taught RAs and GAs, so yep. Good deal. Carrie, when you were young, you made a decision, right? You came forward, you got baptized. Tell us a little bit about that. When I was nine, I was in fourth grade, um, I kind of realized, you know what, I haven't done this yet, and being raised in church, I knew what to do, and I knew, you know, God wants us to be baptized, so I should probably do that, and my sister, I have an older sister who's a year older, and she had done that, and some of my kids in class, and I knew, okay, this is the right thing to do, so I should do it, you know. Okay, did that, uh... Growing up, you're a pretty good kid, right? I was on the on the outside. Um, on the inside, I was pretty selfish. But on the outside, you know, I was pretty religious. I read my Bible. I was always in church. You know, I was I was the good Christian kid. And um, yeah, that was on the outside, though. I was a very um, selfish and um, kind of self righteous person. For me, having all that. Bible knowledge and church knowledge, but not having that relationship made me a very judgmental person. So I was selfish and very quick to judge others, you know, Ooh, what does the Bible say about that? But, you know, I didn't ever look at myself. And You were like the chick version of a Pharisee, right? I, that, mm-hmm, that was me. That okay. was me. <laughs> okay. Carrie, you, you came to Tech, right? Mm-hmm. Got involved in your church BCM? Yep. I was at um, Tech a long time ago now, seven years ago, and um, I was big in our BCM. I was on leadership there on council and served on a lot of committees, and I went on a lot of mission trips. And on some of those mission trips, um, on one of them in particular, for the first time, I shared the gospel and I helped a little girl come to know Christ. So, you know, on the outside, I was doing pretty good and doing the right things. You came to work here at the church, got married. I did. Um, in 2007, I started working at the church as the receptionist, and a few months later, I got married to Jonathan. Married to Jonathan. Who's cute. I've never met a cute man besides myself, to be honest with you. <laughs> that wasn't intended to be funny. Uh, Carrie, and then 2010, we had a search committee. We, we interviewed. We are looking for a children's minister. So we're interviewing people. We interview you, we run you through the, the right channels, and then we hire you to be our children's minister, correct? Correct. You know, 
um, growing up in church and being really involved, I knew a lot about the Bible and I knew kind of what words to say. I knew, you know, what they were looking for. And it's not that I lied. I was just, I think I had an unrealistic view of myself and I thought that myself, I thought, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty spiritual. And so, you know, when I gave my testimony, um, I would give kind of bits and pieces here, but it was interesting that Every time before I was saved, every time I gave my testimony, it was a little bit different because I was just, you know, grabbing at significant spiritual events in my life, you know, just kind of putting them all, piecing them together. So, um, you know, I, I had experience with kids. I worked at Pine Cove Christian Camps in college, and I worked in the church nursery growing up. So I had a lot of Bible knowledge, and I liked working with kids. So it seemed like a good fit for me. And you can get a testimony at TestimonyGoogle.com, right? It's so true. If you, you need to. Okay. <laughs> Carrie, you're, you're a children's minister. You look good. You, you look Christian. Obviously, we normally try to hire Christian ministers. Um, did you ever feel like something was missing, though, or wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, my whole life, even youth group, college, every time... You know, I kind of, somebody gave an altar call. I'd feel a little twinge, like, "Mm, should I say something? Should I not? And I remember talking to my youth minister, and I was like, you know, how do I know for sure? And he was like, you know, when you accept Christ, you just know. And I was like, okay. And I never really just knew, you know, but I always kind of, I I never had a peace about it. Right. Okay, last fall, uh, we had a revival, uh, 2012, October the most powerful revival I've ever been around. What happened in your life that week? Well, um, God had really been working on my life. Starting about maybe the, f- the few weeks before, you preached a sermon um, on Matthew 722 And um, the verse says, you know, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, but he'll say, you know, depart from me, I didn't know you. And that didn't sit well with me. And then the week of the revival, um, I was over with the kids most of the time, so I was next door, and we were kind of talking in, in the office one day, and one of our staff members, I remember him saying, you know, I know I made a decision when I was a child, and when I was in high school and college, you know, I did some things that I know weren't right, but I, I felt bad, and I felt the Holy Spirit's conviction about it. And I just kind of went, because uh, I was like, you know, I've done a lot of bad things, and I've never felt that Holy Spirit conviction. You know, part of that self-righteousness, I was always like, you know, I'm not that bad. And I compare myself to other people. and like, well, they're way worse than I was. So I had never felt that just gut conviction. And I was like, that's not right. And so I made sure that I went to that revival service Tuesday night and I just sat there just kind of numb and I just kind of soaked it in. And I went home that night and, you know, I didn't say a word on the car ride and I just sat there and Jonathan's like, something's up, what's going on? And so I just kind of, it just, I broke and I just cried and I was telling him and he was like, what? You know, he, at first he was like, yeah, you're a Christian. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I have never had a point in my life until that night of just true brokenness and repentance. And, you know, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I said the words, I surrender. You know, I was just tired of living life for me and doing everything my way and, you know, doing godly things, but doing them on my terms. And so I just prayed and, you know, I felt this immediate burden lifted off. And for the first time in my entire life, 27 years, I felt a peace about my salvation. And so 
um, yeah, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, you know, and Carrie, I remember the next day you came to talk to me, and when we first started talking, I thought, well, you know, we're going to talk, and we'll, I'm a highly paid professional. I will be able to help her understand. She's been a Christian. She just, uh, but as we talk, I became very convinced with you that you had had a real salvation experience with Jesus on that Tuesday night. And it was just unbelievable. You came down Wednesday at the revival. We baptized you a week or two later. Um, Carrie, was that tough? That was very tough. Um, it wasn't as tough talking to you because you're, you know, a great pastor, but it was tough. It was, that's right. Um, it was hard for me and it was scary for one because you know, I sat there and thought, I am the children's minister. I am on staff at a church. And at first I thought, what are people going to think? You know, I teach their kids, you know, every Sunday. And, you know, I've led kids to Christ. What are people going to think, you know? And, and then it became, okay, you know, my position at this church did not mean I was a Christian. And that was scary that you can be a teacher, a leader in a church. You could teach a Bible study. You know, you could go to church every Sunday and, you know, I've, I've heard that my whole life. You can go to church. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. But you can be on staff at a church, and you can lead people to Christ. Because, you, I mean, you know the ABCs. You, you know, there's kind of a process when you counsel somebody. You can do those things and not be a Christian. And, I, you know, I opened my Bible again to Matthew seven twenty two and 23. And my version um, is New Living. And it said, um, you know, people cried, Lord, Lord, they prophesied in Christ's names and cast out demons. And my version said, and God said, depart from me because the things you did were not authorized. And that just summed it up for me. You know, I was doing these great Christian things, but it was not authorized by God. I did not have a relationship. I did not have a peace. And so it was scary. You know, what are people going to think? And so, um, yeah, it was a little mm. tough. It was a little scary. Carrie, you know, in, in this room this morning, there, there are people here that are struggling with the same thing, that uh, many of them, they, they're good people, they've, uh, they've walked an aisle, they've been baptized, they've done religious things, but the truth is they, haven't, they don't have a peace about their salvation. Some, uh, honestly, this many people here, there's people here that know they're not Christians, but they're thinking about what is my husband going to think, my wife going to think, my kids, my parents, uh, my grandkids going to think, you know, what are people at the church going to think. Uh, is it worth it? I mean, is it, what, what, what's your words to him this morning? My words to you is, um, number one, know that you can have a peace about your salvation. A hundred percent, you can know. And if you have doubts, then you don't know. You know, I always, mm, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm a good person. But you can know 100% that you are saved and you have Jesus in your heart. And number two, know that when you make that decision and you make that known to believers, they will rejoice with you. Jonathan, my husband, was so excited. My parents, my staff, everybody I talked to was so excited. Nobody was mad or sad or angry. And, you know, when I got baptized that Sunday, we had our kids, our children's church down there, and Chris said, if you rejoice in this decision, let me hear you say amen. And from the balcony, I could hear 50 mm -hmm. kids saying amen. Mm -hmm. You know, they rejoice, you know, and so it is worth it. And don't be afraid of what people think because when God changes your heart, you're going to want to tell people and they're going to be excited for you. Amen. Amen. Let's give Carrie a hand for 
Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there any subjects in life that you like to avoid? School subjects? I mean, for me, it was biology, math, chemistry, physics, um, economics. I like lunch and I like PE. Those were good ones. Taxes. You know, when I was growing up, I was always told you don't ever talk about religion and politics. And I became a preacher and all you talk about is religion and politics with people. But there are subjects in life that we would rather avoid your, your weight. You know, we don't walk around telling everybody, hey, I weighed this morning and I was 15 pounds heavier than last month. You know, there's things we just don't talk about, correct? And we'd rather avoid to keep your eyes closed that they don't exist or they don't happen. Well, this morning in Mark chapter 9, we're going to talk about one of those subjects. We're going to talk about hell today. Now, here's my promise to you. Next week, we're going to be sweet, and the next week's Easter, and it's resurrection, it's hope and joy. But we've got to hit the bad subjects every now and then, too, if we're going to talk about the truth of the Bible. Okay, Mark chapter 9, we're going to talk about hell. Here is a big, big thought for this morning that Jesus says in this passage, hell is to be avoided at all costs. Hell is to be avoided at all costs. Mark chapter 9, if you don't have your Bibles, they'll be on the screens. Folks, now here's, here's some fundamental premises, okay? The Bible teaches that, that there is life after death, okay? People are wishy-washy whether they believe that or not. The Bible is very clear that when you and I die, we'll be more alive then than we are today. Our soul and spirit lives on. We will, we will be alive in heaven or we will be alive in hell. The Bible says there's two places that a person goes when they die. It's either heaven or hell. And then it's based on what you do with Jesus Christ here on earth where you will spend eternity. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that hell is a real place and a really bad option. Now, before we get into it and don't smile or laugh anymore, I want to tell you a true story that, that'll, that'll uh, elevate the mood for just a second. A, uh, a, a, a Illinois businessman, he lived in northern Illinois. This was in January. He was taking a business trip. He was going to bring his wife uh, with him in a day. He was taking the trip down to South Florida, down to Miami. So he leaves northern Illinois, and it's 10 below, and, you know, there's five feet of snow. And he gets down to Miami, and so he's going to email her and tell her, you know, arrive safely, yada, yada, yada. So he, he messes up the email address by a couple of characters. And now this isn't the funny part. It goes to a, an elderly lady whose husband had been a pastor. And the, the pastor had died the day before. And the funeral was the next day. She was in the room by herself at the computer. Her family heard her scream and they heard a, a thud. They go running in there. Mama and grandmama's passed out on the floor. She's alive, but she is unconscious. And they look at the email she had gotten accidentally, and it said, Honey, arrived down here safely. Look forward to you joining me tomorrow. Lovingly, your husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. You know, if I'm 85 and get, Cindy would have said, I knew he was going there. I knew it. I knew it. But hell is not a laughing matter. It's a terrible subject. And now here's another thing that some of you are saying right now. You say, well, I'm a Christian. This doesn't apply to me. I'll pray for those around me who are going to hell. That's not a bad thought. But listen, this applies to you tremendously. In fact, when Jesus spoke these words originally, 
There were lost people in the crowd, but no doubt many of the people were already God followers, Christ followers. So this passage is for you a lot. If you are a Christian today, don't relax because you have family members and friends who are lost this morning, who the Bible says are headed to hell. They're not going to go to heaven because they're kin to you or me. They're not going to go to heaven because they're nice or they were christened or sprinkled or baptized or baptized in this church or or whatever. And so the subject about hell is for people who don't know where they're going to spend eternity. You need to face the truth on this today. But for us Christians, we need this truth to drive deeply into our heads and to our hearts and let it sink in. Verse 43 through 49, Jesus says this, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. In verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Now, Jesus' original audience were largely manual laborers, and they were agricultural people, or they were soldiers. And so their hand was extremely important to them. They did not have the, the prosthetics that we have and good, you know, even like a hook or a fake hand. They didn't have those things. And so if you lost a hand as a woman, everything, you, you didn't have an electric dishwasher and you didn't have ovens. You did, everything was hand work. And, and for a man, so much what you did was hand work. And to lose your hand would have been absolutely horrible. I mean, you were losing the way you made a living. You took care of your family. Jesus said it'd be better for you not to have a hand and die and go to heaven than to have two hands or three hands or four hands and die and go to hell. The foot, this is a culture where people walked everywhere they went. If you had a little money, maybe you had a donkey or a mule that you rode or you could have a wagon that pulled you. But a lot of people, you walked where you went. And if you did not have a foot or a leg or if you were crippled or maimed, man, it was terrible. They didn't have wheelchairs like we do. They didn't have ways to get around like we do. So if you don't have a foot or a leg and your whole life is about walking, that's bad, isn't it? Jesus said it'd be better for you to be maimed and, and go to heaven than to have two legs, two feet, dying to go to hell. How many of you saw the movie 127 Hours? You may remember it when I... It, it's a true story about a guy named Aaron Ralston. We have Aaron's picture here, and you will see from his picture uh, when it comes up. If it comes up, it may, there it is. You see he has a, a, a hook or a, some kind of a, a, a false hand there. Aaron Ralston did a dumb thing. He was in Utah, and he went out. He was biking, and he was mountain climbing by himself. Didn't tell anybody where he was going. And he fell down in the ravine, and when he did, he got his arm lodged. And for 127 hours, he was stuck. And finally, he knew, if I'm going to live, I've got to do the craziest, most extreme thing that you can imagine. I have to amputate my own arm with a knife right here. He did that and walked eight miles and was rescued. As you can see today, he is alive minus a right hand. For Jesus to say, it would be better for you to cut your hand or your foot off or or your eye. Well, we know how important our eyes are. It would be better for you to enter life blind than to die and go to hell someday. He's using extreme pictures to show us 
that no matter what it costs you, you need to make sure you're not going to hell. And if you are a Christian, you need, you need to get off your high horse. You need to get broken. You need to be burdened. You need to get real about the state of your family members and friends and where they're going someday without Jesus Christ is what he's trying to get across to us. We're going to look at four facts now about hell. Four reasons. and there, There's 50 in the Bible. We're going to look at four where Jesus kind of lays it out. There's a guy that I read a lot of his writings a leadership expert, and he says, he, he always says this, facts are your friends. Facts are your friends. Facts don't always feel like our friends, do they? I mean, when you read a report and the money's down or, or, or the, the numbers aren't what they need to be, uh, you may lose your job if things don't change. But he says facts are your friends if, if is a big word, if you will look at them and make the adjustments that you need to to be on the right target. Facts, not fantasy, show you where you really are. We're going to look at some facts today. Now, guys, I want to tell you this too. Jesus spoke a lot more about hell than he ever did heaven. A lot more about hell than he ever did heaven. Do I like preaching on this today? Absolutely not. Can you find preachers in churches that don't believe in hell anymore? Absolutely. And you know what? Over the next 10 or 20 years, you will find more and more who will say, everybody's going to heaven or hell's not that bad or whatever. Folks, the only person that really knows what hell's like is Jesus Christ. And we need to stick to what he says. Here's the first thing he says about hell. It's a place of fire. It's a place of fire. If you've been in church much, you're familiar with this this picture in verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Or verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Folks, the, the word hell there in your Bibles the Greek word is Gehenna, and it comes from a Hebrew concept which meant the Valley of Hanam. The Valley of Hanam, Gehenna, was a real place. Jesus' original hearers would have known exactly what he was talking about. Gehenna, the Valley of Hanam, was south of Jerusalem. It was in a deep ravine, and in Jesus' day, it was a garbage dump. It is where people brought the garbage from the city, it's where they brought animal carcasses. If you didn't have a pet that you loved, or, you know, they just found a dead horse or whatever on the road where they would take or a mule and bury it. Criminals who nobody claimed their body, they burned them at this valley of Phanom. And when Jesus talked about hell, one of the pictures he gave was Gehenna. He said, hell is like that garbage dump outside of Jerusalem that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the fire and the smoke are coming out of it. That's the picture that he used when he talked about hell. Folks, I've looked at hell uh, for, for 25 or 30 years now. I've looked at what the words mean when it talks about fire and it talks about burning. And, and you know what the biblical word fire there literally means? It means fiery. It doesn't mean imaginary fire or hopeful fire or Jesus is really playing with you. It's not that bad fire. I don't understand it all. I, 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 that's an understatement. But if I take seriously what Jesus says about hell, he describes it as a place where a person will suffer and suffer like one who is being burned. 
Several years ago, 2004, I believe it was 2004, two of our church members, one is Chad Geis, who's got his arm around a pretty young lady down here. Chad and, and Shannon Pardue, both in separate incidents, were burned. Shannon was working outside, and he, he burned. Chad was grilling, I believe, and he burned. So, but both of them, it, it, they weren't terrible, you know, have to go to a burn clinic for, for six months type thing, thank God. But they were bad enough that they were in the hospital. And both of them told me, and they're both, can I use the word redneck? And that's okay, isn't it? Country, tough, redneck type guy. I mean, you know, I'm using that in a good way. Uh, they're not sissies. They're not sissies. Both of them said the worst pain I ever had in my life was when I was burned. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, I don't know what your spiritual condition is, but I know this. No matter what it would cost you today, you need to do whatever you need to do to make sure you leave this building today right with Jesus Christ. You don't want to go to hell. And you Christians today, you need to be broken You need to see what God's trying to say to you today, and you need to say, you know what, that family member, that friend, that person that I've written off, that I don't pray for, that I make excuses for, that I say that's okay, that probably is not okay, I need to do everything I can to help them come to Jesus because I don't want them to go to hell. Here's the second thing he says that ties right into the first. He says it's not only a place of fire, but it's a horrible, demonic garbage dump. When Jesus described hell, he described it not only as a place of fire, but he described it as a picture of a horrible, rotten, demonic garbage dump. In verse 48 again, this is where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That doesn't make sense. And that's always been a creepy picture when you're a 12-year-old boy in Sunday school. (laughs) What did that mean? Well, let's go back to what Jesus mentioned earlier, Gehenna, the Valley of Hanam, this garbage dump. Let me give you a little bit of its history. Several hundred years before, there were bad Jewish kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, and they led the people away from God. They led them to worship false gods. One was the god Moloch. And part of this worship practice, and I want you to get a hold to how horrible this was, was human sacrifice. And it wasn't like the movies, like Rustin, we would go to Dubak and get people and bring them back and sacrifice them. They They were literally sacrificing their own children in the fires. They were killing their children in worship of this false god. Now, listen, the God of the Bible always says that is terrible and demonic. And and after the good Jewish people took back over, they were so ashamed of what happened in this valley of Hanam, they took this place of evil worship and they made it into a garbage dump. And when Jesus described hell, he said, hell is like Gehenna. It is a place where there's fire burning the garbage, where worms are crawling around in that garbage, and it's a demonic, evil, rotten place. Is that not a picture? Next time you hear someone say, well, I may go to hell, but it doesn't sound that bad, tell them you want to test their IQ because it's probably not above room temperature. Jesus said hell is a place you and I can't even get our hands around and our minds around, but here's a little picture. It's a place of fire and suffering we can't imagine. It's compared to 
living in a demonic, rotten, nasty, horrible garbage dump. That's how he describes hell. Here's the third thing he says. It's a place of complete isolation and separation. It's a place of isolation and separation beyond our ability to grasp. When I was growing up near my hometown, there was a, a, a town that had a, a, a once-a-week paper. And in that paper, they had a columnist who was kind of the good old boy columnist, and he would write, and he'd write funny things. But I remember as a teenager, he wrote an article about worry. And he said, you shouldn't worry. He said, some of you are worried about going to hell. He said, you're going to be so busy shaking hands with old friends in hell, you won't even realize you're in hell. Ha, ha, ha. You know, I remember even, I wasn't a Christian. I thought, you know, that doesn't sound right. Folks, hell's not going to be a place where you're going to know other people and you're going to interact with other people. In Luke chapter 16, verse 25 through 26, Jesus is talking in this story about a man in hell. He said, but Abraham replied to this person in hell, Son, remember, in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, now listen, between us and you, heaven and hell, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Folks, if you end up in hell, family members, friends that you love end up in hell, don't think that you're going to be looking up somebody, well, I don't want to go to hell because great-grandpa went there and he was a good guy. I'd rather be with him in hell than Jesus in heaven. You're not going to see anybody in hell. Matthew 25, verse 30, look at what it says here. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is describes a place of fire and darkness. And, and darkness being, that word darkness means a complete blackness. Folks, hell will be a place of isolation and separation beyond anything any of us, thank God, have ever experienced. There was an old movie, Papillon. Did any, any of y'all remember that? In the first service, they did, the Papillon. There's, there's about five of us. Steve McQueen was the hero in that movie. It is loosely based on a true story about a, a, a criminal in France who was sent to their horrible French prisons in French Guiana outside of South America. At, from about 1850, 1860 to about 1950, France had these prison colonies basically in the jungle. And, and they were horrible enough if you were sentenced to one of them. But if you got in trouble while you were there, you were sent to isolation. Now, here's what isolation was. Isolation was uh, a, a little hole in, in a room here, and you had concrete block walls going up about 10 or 12 feet on three sides, maybe on four sides with a little door. You, ha- you saw one person a day. You didn't get out for time in the yard or the shower or anything like that. A guard walked the catwalk above you. Now, here's another catch. If you were sent to that isolation, you couldn't talk to anybody. You only saw that guard occasionally. You couldn't talk to anybody. If you tried to talk to that guard, you tried to speak, you got extra time put on your sentence. And you know what happened to those prisoners after one year, two years, and that kind of isolation? They went stark raving mad. The depression, the anxiety, the neurosis, the psychosis. And they said many of them, when they got out two or three years later, were absolutely never the same again. Hell will be a place of insanity like you and I can never imagine. And not only separation from other humans, but separation from God. 
Folks, here's something that you and I can never imagine because we've never experienced. There's never been a moment in your life up to this point you couldn't cry out to God. Do you know that? You know, God, your whole life, God's been beside you whether you've recognized it or not. And and at any point in your existence, you can cry out to Jesus and be saved. You can call out to him for help. But the minute a person dies without Christ, God is forever out of your existence. Can you imagine that? You will never have access to God, his presence, his power, his help again. Hell is a place of complete separation and isolation. Christian, what do you think about this? Think it's worth inviting people to church, telling them about Jesus, praying for them? Are we just okay with where they may end up someday? What about you if you're not sure if you're a Christian? Are you, are you willing to continue to roll the dice for another day, another two days, that, hey, you'll have a chance at the fall revival this next year to be saved? Let me give you one last thing to drive the nail in. It's eternal. It's eternal. In verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The fire is never extinguished. In China, they actually had a fire that burned for 130 years. In 1874, 1874, John Morgan wasn't even born then. That's how long ago that was. A fire started in a coal mine, and it burned for 130 years. In the year 2000, the Chinese government finally said, "Ah, enough, and it took them four years to get that fire out. That fire burned through World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam. Think about all the things that went and, and came and went during that time. But yet, Jesus says the fire of of hell is eternal, that it'll never be put out. In Matthew 25, verse 46, it says, Jesus said, then they will go away, the Christian, or excuse me, not the Christian, the non-Christian, to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, guys, that word eternal there, Jesus said, is an emphatic word. It's like Jesus hit the pulpit and he said, Guys, eternal means eternal. In other words, in hell or heaven, it's not 150 years, and then you get to decide if you want to switch. It's not annihilation that that some people say, well, if you're not a Christian, when you die, you just die, that's it, it's over. The Bible says wherever you and I end up at death, we are there for eternity. You cannot get your mind around that. That's fine. That just means it's stuck forever and ever and ever. It's eternal. I want to share one more verse with you this morning out of Matthew 25, verse 41. It says, Then in this time of Jesus, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Now, look very closely at that last part. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Guys, here's a truth that you really need to chew on. Hell was never 
intended for you. Hell was never intended for any person. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you're a Christian, I want to ask you, what are you going to do to help those you love and care about come to Jesus? Several years ago, we had a guest speaker named Dwayne Blue. Dwayne Blue was a very powerful speaker. He'd been a biker. He'd been a drug addict. He became a Christian. His wife, Iris, was supposed to have come that day, but she couldn't come. She was sick. I've heard Iris tell this before, but Dwayne told this this night. He said, Iris, Iris, when she was a little girl in a Baptist church, had come forward and joined the church and got baptized. And then she bent off, and she went really, really bad. And he said, for years, Iris' mom and daddy just said, oh, Iris is backslidden. She's away from God. Oh, pray that she'll come back to Jesus. Finally, one night in a prayer meeting, her mama stood up and said, Iris is lost. Iris doesn't know Jesus. We need to pray and talk to her, not to try to get her back to God, but to get her to God. And Iris Blue believes that was a turning point in her coming to Christ. Christian, what are you going to do? You're not a Christian this morning. What are you going to do? 1998, we were having a revival of the church I was pastoring. And I was teaching a Sunday school class right before the revival. We'd been praying. The church was primed. And I, I talked about heaven and hell and eternity in Sunday school. And after the class was over, a guy named Wade came up to me. And he said, Chris, I need to become a Christian right now, right now. He said, I don't want to wait till." To the invitation, he said, I may die before church is over. Help me come to Christ right now. I want to ask you, what are you going to wait on? You going to wait on tonight? You going to wait on next Sunday, Easter Sunday? I want to tell you, if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, the time to get that right is this morning. Let's bow our heads. You're a Christian I pray that God's breaking your heart this morning. I, I pray and hope that there are people on your mind and heart that you are going to go after to help them come to Christ. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, would you pray with me right now and just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins, Jesus. I believe you're God's son. And I believe, Jesus, I accept that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my life today. And this morning, I give you my life. Let me have your attention. Just a second, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, let Justin sing. If you want to join the church, we would love for, for you to. You can come one way and join us. Just come down this morning. You're a Christian. There may be some people you need to pray for. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar, pray with a minister. Christian, maybe you need to say to God, God, my heart's been wrong, and God, help me to spend the rest of my life chasing after people who need you. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart or maybe you're ready to do that. Folks, the time to make the right decision is always right now.
you're in the balcony, you're in the back, you're in the front. When we stand, and we're standing now, stand up, just bow your heads. You come, we'll be waiting on you down here. But respond to Jesus.